There is an unseen hand to me that leads Welcome to the Unseen Hand Podcast, featuring the pulpit ministry of missionary evangelist Ronnie Brown. Listen in as Brother Ronnie shares the truth of the Bible and how God's unseen hand can lead and guide your life with each and every verse. This hand still leads me as I go. If you have your Bibles, take them to Exodus chapter number 27. Exodus chapter number 27. We started, uh, I believe last week, yes, last week, a series on the tabernacle. And uh, what we will try to do is look at each individual item in the tabernacle and bring spiritual application from it. I believe that the tabernacle itself, with all its meticulous design, has a very specific purpose in what it does and what it says and what can be gleaned from it. And so I want us to several weeks to take a look at the tabernacle. So if you would, let's stand and honor and reverence God's holy an inspired word. Exodus 27, we'll just read one phrase to, to begin our thoughts and we'll look at other passages of Scripture as the message goes on. But Exodus 27, and look at verse number 9, and that first phrase, and thou shalt make the court of the tabernacle. God had designed that there be a court, a boundary around the tabernacle. Hopefully all of you got a sheet that I printed out 20 of them, Harold. Do we have any missing? Everybody got access? Maybe you can see one good uh, to this sheet. That's what when I say the courtyard, I'm talking about that fence along the outside. What formed the court of the tabernacle? You can be seated. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. And I just simply want to preach about the court of the tabernacle. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, God, we thank you that you do hear and answer prayer. God, we have saw this morning in the book of Acts how that when we assemble ourselves together, it is to, among other things, to seek your face in prayer. And God, we have done that as we have come to worship in very various aspects of prayer. Father, I pray now in this, in this onset of the preaching of your word, Father, that you would endue with power from on high. God, that your Holy Spirit would, would direct and would lead. God, help me to yield my flesh and my, my motivations to you and in your care. Father, I pray that an unction, the Spirit of God, that, that unction would, would come upon the words that I speak and the Spirit of God will, will take them and as arrows would shoot them into the hearts of believers. A express word to their heart. Father, I pray that you would remind us of Jesus. God, that's our fellowship. That's our koinonia. That's why we've gathered together because of Jesus. And I pray as we peer into this tabernacle, we'd see the Lord Jesus and what He has done for us and how He has saved us by His grace. Father, we just pray that You'd be glorified in everything that happens this evening. We ask this in Jesus' precious name. Amen and amen. Just about every month, since the year of 2003, I've been going down to preach at the Catoosa County Jail at least once a month. If it averages out, I've, cut, I've had to cut back uh, some over the, over the years. So if you, but if you average that, just about every month I'll go down there. And when I pull around to that Catoosa County Jail, the first noticeable thing is not the state-of-the-art 
uh, museum-like uh, 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 office or entryway or, or uh, greeting area. <laughs> greeting area is not a good word at the jail. I don't know how you'd say it. That first uh, 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 room, it's not that. That's not what eye-grabbing eye when you pull up to the jail. And it's not the windows of the jail or, or the, the walls of the jail particularly, but it's that fence that grabs your eyes. It's that, it's that chain link fence that goes all the way around uh, that jail and that razor sharp barbed wire along the, tarp, uh, the top and, the, uh, and we, we find that, that it's a separation. It is a mark of demarcation between a world of freedom and a world of confinement. It is, it is those uh, uh, inside of that fence that are wicked and perverse on the inside that are separated from the relatively law-abiding on the outside. Relatively. Now, I know, I know there's a lot of folks that ought to be in jail right now that are on the outside. But what I'm saying, I'm trying to draw a picture, an analogy, if you will. Those on the inside are guilty. Our, our due judgment are facing certain judgments from the state. Those on the outside roam around in relative freedom. Well, if you remember last week, we took a magical plane ride. We got on a plane that not only flew over to the Sinai Peninsula, but it also flew back in time some 3,000 years ago. And you remember that plane, when we come over the Mount Sinai, we'd notice all those tents that would be lined around what? They'd be lined around that fence, that courtyard. You remember the drawing from last week? I don't think this has it, a picture of the tents that are surrounded. If you remember the drawing from last week, there were tents all around this tabernacle, some on the south side, some on the north side, east side, and west side. But they all surrounded this main particular courtyard. And my thought is this, the first thing that you're going to see when you come around is those tents surrounding what? That fence, that outline of demarcation between the tabernacle. Now we know the tent itself and we'll, we'll, call, that, uh, we'll call that the tabernacle proper. That's that tent that had the Ark of the Covenant and the lampstand and the altar of incense and table of showbread had all that in it. That's the tabernacle proper. But the tabernacle as a whole would include not only the tent but also the fence that along the outside and the altar and the labor. We call that the, temper, the tabernacle as a whole. That fence would be the first thing that we'd see. And unlike the jail, a jail which kept the guilty on the inside and the relatively righteous on the outside, it's flip-flop. It's just the opposite when it comes to the tabernacle. Those that are guilty are on the outside. And those that are righteous, those things that have to do with going to God and relationship with God and fellowship with God are on the inside of that tabernacle. But those on the outside... We could say basically they're in a prison cell. I was listening to Ray Comfort, one of my favorite evangelists, preach on the street. And he was trying to tell these folks that even though uh, they, were, they lived in relative freedom, he was trying to let them know that they're living in a jail cell. 
Oh yes, it's got plenty of scenery and good lighting and good food. The rain or the uh, the the roof leaks every now and then in this jail cell. But all of us on the outside, without Christ, we are awaiting judgment. We're on confinement. There's no way we can go. It may be kind of roomy in this jail cell for the lost sinner, but they they can go anywhere they want to. But they're still in confinement, waiting for the day of judgment. And that's what we see pictured here in this line of demarcation, in this line of demarcation between those things which are holy and those things which are sinful. Now I believe by taking note of this court and the specifically this boundary, we can make application in, in, make application in three different areas of spiritual edification. I want to make three application at the end of my message. And I want to make that application concerning Christ, the Christian, and conversion. But we got to lay some groundwork before then. So I want you to notice, first of all, about this fence. I want you to see, first of all, the dimensions of the court. Now, you cannot build anything. I started to say you can't build anything with... Uh, uh, you can't build anything uh, that without dimensions. Well, that's not true. Man, I can nail a bunch of boards together. <laughs> I've done it before and not take good measurements. And I built something, but it's not structurally sound, okay? So nobody can build anything of structural significance without dimensions. God is not vague in what He had to say to Moses. He wasn't ambiguous in the least. Matter of fact, the most detailed description you'll find in the Word of God is that of the tabernacle. It is meticulous and it is mathematical. You see, that's why God has a book called Numbers. He's a mathematician. Amen. Matter of fact, you look at science and you look at the things of this world and, and, and the structure of cells and, and the, the way things are built naturally in this world, and most of it is by mathematical equation. Uh, the petals on a flower are mathematical in the way they come up. And so we find that He is a mathematical God. He is a God of dimensions. I want you to notice some of the dimensions that He gave Moses. The first thing I want you to see is the dimensions of the boundary. The boundary. Look in verse number 9. And thou shalt make the court of the tabernacle for the south, uh, for the south side southward. There shall be hangings for the court of fine twined linen of an hundred cubits long for one side. And look at verse number 11. And likewise for the north side. In length there shall be hangings of an hundred cubits long. Look at verse 12. And for the breadth of the court on the west side shall be hangings of 50 cubits. Look at 13. And the breadth of the court on the east side, eastward, shall be 50 cubits. And so here we have the measurements. And they come in the measurement of units. I heard a comedian one time, and he was talking about cubits. And he had no idea what a cubit was. And he was trying, he was joking about what a cubit was. Well, let me tell you what a cubit is. It was a unit of measure that they used in the time of Moses. And basically, it was, the word cubit means forearm. And so one cubit is approximately the length from the elbow to the wrist. Approximately 18 to 20, uh, 18 to 24 inches. I mean, 24 is a big dude, 
But, but anyway, it had to be it was something like that. It was a unit of measure that everybody had. Everybody had a cubit. Everybody had a forearm. And so they would lay that down. Now, going by, going by those estimations, we find that the south of the south side of the tabernacle was approximately 150 feet long. The north side, right opposite of that, was 150 feet long. On verse number 12, the west side was 75 feet, and the east side, in verse 13, was 75 feet. Now, you, you kids, you're going for the CRCTs this week. If you have, if you have a four-sided polygon with two sides that are longer than the other, and two are parallel, and the other two are parallel, what have you got? A rectangle, praise God, is going to get a CRCTs, man. You're going to do it, man, I'm praying for you. But you have a rectangle. And this one is proportioned. Did you notice that the length is twice the width? God is a God of proportion. A God of order. That's why I believe that the church ought to be an orderly place. It ought to make sense. Now we don't make our church exactly like a tabernacle, but it should be an orderly place. A place of symmetry. That's what we see God doing here. Uh, this formed a rather large area. It was conspicuous, not easily overlooked. So right there, when you come across that Mount Sinai in our magical time travel plane, and it ought to catch your eye. There is a boundary. There is a large set-off place in the middle of that camp. It sets it apart as unique and special and causes the mind to question what is going on. On here. Now notice second of all, not only the dimensions of the boundary, but I want you to see the dimensions of the barrier. Look at verse number 9. Thou shalt make the court of the tabernacle. And for the south side, southward, there shall be hangings for the court of fine twined linen. That word hangings is analogous to the word curtains. Curtains. These weren't solid walls uh, that were uh, placed up some kind of, maybe, I know they didn't have plywood, but maybe something like plywood that they'd set up. No, these would be flowing pieces of material. Why, as the wind blew across that desert, you would see these flapping in the wind. You would see them move. Uh, They were made of linen. They were curtains. Now, as you read further in the books of Exodus, you will find these curtains were attached by hooks on the connecting rods in verse number 17. Look at verse 17. And the pillars round about the court shall be filleted with silver. That word filleted means hangers. It means hooks. And so these curtains were hung way up off of the ground by hooks on rods. Now, this word filleted means connected. And they were these uh, filleted, uh, these were connected by rods that ran through those loops and, and, and through onto these pillars, and they, they made what was like a loose, uh, a loose uh, uh, boundary, a loose uh, uh, structure. Now those base pillars, or we would call them poles, you see them referenced in verse 17, and all the pillars, basically those were poles that they would set into the ground. And all of those poles had, uh, look at verse number 17, at the very last, and their sockets of brass. Now we don't know exactly what this socket looked like, but it was probably a larger piece 
of brass, a block of brass. Can you uh, vision that in your mind? A big piece of brass that was placed into the ground. Uh, they dug, maybe dug a hole, dug a hole in the sand, put this brass, uh, a brass uh, socket in there with a hole in it. And what they done was take the pillar or this rod and they would place it inside that socket. And so it would hold it up. It would give it some amount of structure. Then they would take silver cross pieces and hook them at the top. And then they have the rings and they would hang the curtains from those rings. In Exodus 36, 8, it talks about how that these pillars on the top had caplets on the top, a decorative caplet on the top. Now there were 60 sockets and 60 poles and 120 pegs. Now, what would that, what they would do? Now those those sockets in the ground, those brass sockets, was not strong enough to withstand the wind on the desert. So what they would do is they would take cords and wrap them around the top of the pillar, and kind of like a tent. You ever done a tent where you had the had the old kind of tent where you had the the cords that come down on either side, and you had to put a tent peg in the ground, and then you loop the cord around it, and it held the tent stable. You can see that in the picture there. There are these cords that go on each t- each uh, uh, pillar, and they had two pegs on either side that they would pound in the ground, and that would give it stability on, on, the, uh, uh, on the other uh, other axis or other way of leaning. And so these curtains that hung from there were, uh, I think in verse 18, look at verse 18, and the length of the court shall be a hundred cubits and the breadth fifty everywhere and the height five cubits of fine twined linen and their sockets of brass. And that five cubits would be approximately seven and a half feet tall. Not exactly something you can put your leg over and get inside, okay? It is something that is a boundary. You'd come up to it and you'd say, I cannot get through there. I've got to go around. There's got to be a door. There's got to be a way in. It is something that said, stay out. It's something that made a boundary from one thing to another. And so that's the the dimensions of the boundary and the dimensions of the barrier. Those are the dimensions of the court. Now, second of all, I want you to see not only the dimensions of the court, but the details of the court. You know, when it came to the tabernacle, not only did God give specific dimensions for the measurement of the court, but He gave specific details about the materials to be used. Every detail of the tabernacle was given to Moses, and Moses followed it to the letter. The first detail I want you to see, and there are several here, I want you to see the detail of the hangings. Now, we know in verse number 9 that the word hangings meant Curtains. Look at verse number 9. And there shall be hangings for the court of fine twined linen of a hundred cubits long or for one side. Fine twined linen. This would be a linen that they would make out of flax. And unless otherwise described, linen in the Bible is usually uh, meant to be white or seen as white. Uh, I believe we'll find later on that the curtain at the door was linen, but it was dyed a color. It was, it was threaded a different color. But we find no such description for these linens of the, the, the outer court of the wall here. And so it is from our understanding that it would be a white. So picture that in your mind. You're, you're coming up, you're walking up to this tabernacle, and you see just a white 
seven and a half foot tall fence goes 150, uh, 150 feet this way and 75 feet this way. All right? Now that's talking about the hangings. Now I want you to see not only the hangings, but I want you to see the details of the heightening. The heightening. Notice in verse number 10. And 20 pillars thereof, and their 20 sockets shall be of brass, and the hooks of the pillars and their fillets shall be of silver. Notice what it's talking about here. It's talking about these pillars. Now what gave this fence its height? What set it up off the ground? Well, it's these pillars that set it up off of the ground. Now we would probably call them poles, but now now this is one of the only the only items in the tabernacle that we're really not clear or sure about what the actual material was. Some seem to believe that it was acacia wood, that hard wood that they would use to carry uh, to carry various items, or uh, the planks in the tabernacle proper itself. Those walls were made of a hard acacia wood, and so many believe that these poles or these pillars were made of that acacia wood. Now this is the only, like I said, this only item we're not completely sure. Most believe that it was that shittim wood or acacia wood. Now notice also, not only the fine twine linen, the details of the hangings hangings, and the details of the heightening, but I want you to see the details of the holdings. Notice the holdings were these sockets. Uh, we find them in verse 17. Sockets of brass and these were at the base of the poles i kind of let the cat out of the bag i get excited and i tell too much and so but this is what happened they would take that uh, piece of brass set in the ground with a hole in it and they would put that pillar into that verse 17 uh, speaks about these being made of brass not only the details of the holdings but the details of the hooks the fillet hooks look at verse number uh, 17 the filleted filleted means those hooks or those uh, uh, holding things that the hooks that held the uh, the or the, the the things that held up the curtains filleted with silver. Their hooks shall be of silver, and their sockets of brass. These fillet hooks were made of silver. Uh, you're saying, well, where did they get all this? I'm. We'll also probably include a message on where did all these items? Where did they get all this gold? I thought they were slaves coming out of Egypt. Where'd they get all this silver and all this brass and all these uh, linens? And where they in the middle of the desert? Well, there's a story behind that. All these items come from an offering uh, from the people, and they gave silver and gold and and all these things. And I'll I'll tell you where they, they got them from Egypt. Amen. When they went when. When they left Egypt, the Egyptians gave them so much of their gold and silver and say, get out of here. We're tired of seeing you. Take this with you and take your God with you. But anyway, that's a different message. But I want you to see, those are the details of the court. We find the linen and the brass and the silver and the wood. We find these elements that are used in the details of the court. Now last of all, I want you to see the depiction of the court. Now, this is the main emphasis. This is what we come to see. And now, we, listen, there's not a whole lot of edification to know that the tabernacle is 150 feet long and 75 feet wide. Now, that may impress somebody down at the workplace, but it's not going to grow you in the Lord. Amen. It may be impressive to know these facts, and we ought to hide them in our heart, but there is spiritual truth that we can draw from it. And that's what I want to go in. Why did God be so specific? 
Why such dimensions in such detail? Well, I believe it can be seen that there is great teaching found in this tabernacle. I want you to see, first of all, that this fence here is descriptive of Christ. Let's start with the curtain. The fine twine linen, you that study your Bible and know anything about types, linen is always a type of righteousness. Of righteousness. Revelation 19.8 describes the, the saints at the marriage supper of the Lamb being robed in fine white linen. And then he goes on to say, which is the righteousness of the saints. So we see that linen is a picture of righteousness. And it is a picture of the righteousness. Here we see that Jesus is the righteous one. That Jesus was the holy one. He was the spotless one. These disciples that were with Him said in Him was no sin. There was no blemish, no guile found in His mouth. Pilate himself said, In him I find no fault in this man. He was spotless. He was righteous. But at the same time, we see also the wood, the shit of wood, which is, a, which is uh, the reality of humanity. That wood comes up from the ground and it speaks to humanity. That shit of wood, the reason it was used is because it was hard and durable, which speaks to of men and, and where men came from, man and woman. It speaks of humanity. And here we have the Lord Jesus pictured as God made in flesh. You see, he, Jesus didn't begin to be at Bethlehem. He always was. But He took on human flesh. He laid aside His glory, His omnipresence, and took on the attributes of a man. And took on flesh as we were made flesh. The perfect humanity of Christ. Then we see also in this, in this offense the sockets of brass. Brass in the Bible is always a picture of judgment. Christ became sin for us. He became man to endure the sacrifice of sin on the cross. To bear on His shoulders the fires of wrath and judgment of sin. Remember I told you about these pillars. Had they had, that they had capitals, little decorative pieces at the top that uh, were made of silver and the rings and the, and the, uh, the, the filleted and, and all of the different portions, they were made of silver. Silver is always a type of redemption in the Bible. The price uh, to buy a slave was so many pieces of silver. It always speaks of redemption. Oh, Christ's judgment on the cross was my ransom, was my redemption. He suffered and bled and died on that cross so that I might be set free. You see, when we look at that white righteousness of Jesus and we see His humanity in that pillar, it is capped with His redemption. It is capped. It is at the bottom there with the judgment that He endured to bring us redemption. We see in the silver redemption. We see not only that, but we also see something in the tent pegs. One author indicated that these tent pegs could be an allusion to the resurrection of Jesus Christ. These tent pegs were made of brass and how that when they were placed in the ground, they had that cord wrapped around them, but they would be placed in the ground in such a way that part of the brass would be in the ground and part would be above the ground. That would be speaking of how the Lord Jesus was buried and raised again. How did He come up from the grave? 
It's just a loop. You can take it or leave it. You can shake your head or whatever. I mean, we're just trying to find pictures of Jesus. And also, what about the cords? If you'll notice in your drawing, there are the little cords there that go from this tent peg over the top and down to the other tent peg. Well, cords often in the Bible are representative as love. Hosea eleven fourteen says, uh, God told His people, I drew them with cords of a man, with bands of love. Oh, we think about the love of the Lord Jesus who pleaded over Jerusalem. Oh, Jerusalem. Oh, Jerusalem. How I gathered you in as chicks under my wing and ye would not. Oh, the love of Jesus Christ. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. And so it's a depiction of Christ. Second of all, it's also a depiction of the Christian as well. Now let's go back over these again. Not only is it a picture of Christ, but it is a picture of the Christian. The fence also speaks of every child of God. The fence is a mark of separation between the believer and the world. Boy, we talked about this morning how that baptism was a mark of separation and how it marked them as out different from the world. Here this fence stands in the forefront for the whole world to see that there is a difference. There is a demarcation. There are those on the outside and those on the inside. And so there's a separation. Uh, we find that this, uh, this, linen, this linen speaks of a holy and righteous life that we are to live in this world to be a witness. Listen, we should, we should strive to give a proper testimony of the righteousness of God. God said, be ye holy, for I am holy. God says, wants us to be pure in a spotted world. And so it speaks of holiness, the holy life and witness we should live. A witness of who God is in this world. Brass speaks, once again, of judgment for our sins. May we never forget the price that Jesus paid and the judgment of God that He endured on that cross. You see, that's why we're supposed to take uh, partake in the table and be reminded of the redemption and the judgment of God, uh, uh, of the judgment of God upon Jesus Christ. Also, the silver hooks speak of how that we are joined to Christ by His redemption. Now, these hooks not only hung on the curtains themselves, but they also joined one together. They would have this uh, this rod that went through the curtain. And it would go so many feet and come over and it would connect at a pillar with another one. And these two rods would be connected. And so not only were they connected to Christ and, and by redemption, but they were connected to each other. Oh, didn't we see that this morning? How that we are connected by what we have in common, Jesus Christ. We're brought together by the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. And so there's a connection not only with Christ, but also with one another. Do you realize that we're in here in this room tonight and if we claim our salvation in Jesus Christ, you know we're brothers and sisters like family. We're, we're closest family. And you probably have enjoyed this. Our, our closeness with the people of God, your brothers and sisters in Christ, even sometimes more close than your blood family. I've known that to be the case in my life. That I've been much closer to some of my brothers and sisters in Christ than I ever have with members of my family. 
And so there's a connection. We're unified by God's redeeming love. The capitals on the top speak of how God has beautified our life. Oh, listen, that capitol did nothing else but speak of the beauty and the perfection of God. It had no other reason to sit up there but just to beautify the pillar, just to change the pillar's appearance, just to, just so it'd be beautiful, sparkling in that sunlight. Oh, do you remember how Jesus Christ has beautified your life? How that sin and shame had overcome you in your life and how that you needed God and you called on Him and He beautified you. He, he put a song in your heart. He forgave your sin made you something you could never be on your own. Oh, He beautifies. He beautifies. The cords of this wall speak of the security of God's love constraining us, holding us up in this life. And then the Apostle Paul that said, the love of Christ constraineth me. Just like those cords held up, held up that wall. Oh, so are we. When the winds blow across the desert of our lives, we are held by the love of God. We will not be lost from His hand. Nothing can separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. We are held by His hands. You see, it is His cords of love that hold us up. A depiction of Christ can be seen in this wall. A depiction of the Christian is seen in this wall. Not only that, I want you to see a depiction of conversion is seen in this wall. As a sinful man disembarks off of our magical plane that takes us back in time, he walks up to that fence and he sees that separation. He sees how clean and white and pure that wall is. And he is reminded of how dirty and sinful and wretched he is. He sees the height at which he cannot span. He can't get over there. His one thought is, I've got to get on the inside. I've got to get on the inside. I'm under judgment. Something's going on in there that I've got to be made a part of. And he begins to look. He looks down and he sees the brass The brass speaks of that judgment. Oh, the fear of the judgment of God being without, being on the outside and not being able to get in. Oh, you think about those on the outside of the ark that banged on the ark side door. I've got to get in. I've got to get in. Oh, that's the mindset of the sinner that approaches that white linen wall which is the righteousness of God. A righteousness that says, I'm holy and you're sinful. You stay out. Oh, but, it, but not only is there judgment at the bottom, that sinful man lifts his eyes and looks at the top and sees the silver lining. Amen. Sees the silver at the top and says, maybe there's hope. Maybe there's hope for me yet. And he would follow it. And sure enough, I like this thought. I was thinking about this. This is all on my own. This is brown theology. He looks down at the judgment and he, he sees that brass down there and that judgment that he rightfully deserves. He lifts his eyes and sees that silver. I'm reminded of what Romans, Romans says in Romans 5.20 Moreover the law entered that the offense might abound but where sin abounded grace did much more abound. 
There is redeeming love. There is access to the Father. There's hope in that redemption. There's hope in that redemption. He can follow it and boy, he'll find the door. There is a way. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. He'll follow that fence. If he'll look long enough and if he'll seek, he'll find that door. He'll find that way in. He'll find that way to access of the Father. You see, uh, we find there is a door. And we'll study that in the weeks to come. There is access. There is a way to come to God. To be hidden. Oh, he says, man, I'm so unrighteous. I'm so dirty. I've got to get on the inside. I can't stay out here. Judgment winds are blowing. I need to be in the place of safety. Oh, listen, if we could be hid. Uh, if he says, if I could only get behind that curtain. If I could only get on the inside where, where that righteousness would cover me. Where that white would cover me. Oh, isn't that what imputed righteousness is? I know you. You're just as still as sinful as I am. I know you still lie. I know you still break God's law. Even though you've been saved. But what has been imputed to me? You've been, what did, what did Paul say? We have been hidden in Christ before God. We've been hidden in Him. We've been enclosed by the righteousness of God. When God looks at us, He sees only that fine twine linen of the righteousness of His dear Son. That's why you need on the inside. Oh, not for joy and for peace, but for hiding in His righteousness. That's why you need to be on the inside. That's why you need to be in through the gate. You need to come to Jesus before it is saved. To be hidden in the righteousness of Christ. Enclosed. Listen, there is a boundary. So many people in this world today want to kick down that boundary. Want to pretend like that boundary's not there. Want to find a way they can sneak in without going through the gate. I'm telling you, if they do, they're a thief and a robber. They're not of His. Unless you come by the way of the cross. Unless you come by Jesus. You're a thief and a robber. You'll not find a place in His courts. You'll be expelled in the day of judgment. I, they'll, they'll, you'll, they'll say unto you, I never knew you. Depart from me, ye worker of iniquity. Oh, listen, there is a way. There is a boundary. God says, I'm holy and you're sinful. But Christ makes the silver redemption possible. There is a way to His righteousness and it is by the Lord Jesus. There is a way to the righteousness of God that every sinful son of Adam needs and it is by Jesus Christ and Him alone. Oh, thank God for that outer court. I remember when he convicted me of my sin. When I saw that wall for the first time, oh, I'd walked past it 21 years of my life and never paid much attention to it. But then one day I was awakened to the separation. Awakened to the need that there's something going on here. There's something going on inside of there that I don't know anything about here. And if I stay where I am, I'm in peril. I'm in danger. I can't stay where I am. I've got to get in on the inside. I've got to get where He is. I've got to find a way. Oh, listen, it's not until every sinful heart comes and sees themselves as sinful and in need of a Savior before they'll ever enter into the kingdom of God, before they'll ever enter into salvation. Do you know the Lord today? This is the story of redemption all through the tabernacle. 
It is the gospel over and over and over again. Let's stand as we come to the song of invitation. Elvis, if you would, please come. The story of redemption in the court of the tabernacle. Court of the tabernacle. I'll never forget. Carrie's told this story for years. Local judge, colorful judge in our area. When she was in high school, she had to go see a court case. And uh, she'll never forget that court case as long as she lives. There's this guy, he had been arrested or gotten a ticket or some kind of violation for his dog running around. He had a Rottweiler dog and he'd let it run around outside. And, uh, and he, was, he was being reprimanded and judged. That judge come before, he come before that judge. That judge said to him, he said, you love your Rottweiler? And he said, yes, sir, I do. He said, you love your Rottweiler so much you need to bring him on the inside. Me and Carrie's joked about that for years. You need to bring him on the inside. You need to bring that dog on the inside. Don't let him run around. Listen, I'm, are you on the inside? Are you standing on the outside of God's righteousness wondering what's all that about in there? You could sit under this tabernacle, under this place of worship and wonder what's going on in there and be on the outside. You could be a child raised up on these pews and still be on the outside looking in. On the outside needing righteousness. Would you come to Jesus today before it's late? There is a way through His flesh that is made in which you can come by the cross of Calvary. You can come by the blood of Jesus. He paid the ransom price of redemption. He paid with His precious blood. You can come to Him today. Oh, but don't roam around on the outside until the storm comes and you are swept away in the judgment of God. Don't wait. Don't wait. While God is dealing with your heart today, you come to Him. Elvis, what song are we singing? 57, oh, amazing grace. How sweet the sound to make a way for me. Amen. Listen, you come to Jesus today. Let's go to the Lord in prayer before we sing. Dear Heavenly Father, God, we love you. God, we're so thankful, so thankful for the Lord Jesus. God, I, we have come tonight to, to exalt Him, to lift Him up, to, to say that we owe our lives, our hearts, every bit of the fiber of our being to the One who made righteousness possible. Who To the One who made righteousness possible for a hell-deserving sinner such as myself. Father, we pray for those in this room that they are among us, but they're on the outside of us. And God, they're looking in over a fence wondering what are, what are they feeling? How are they feeling? How do they see that? I don't get that. I, all I see is a drab tent. All I see is a flimsy fence. Oh God, I pray you'd open their eyes to their need to be on the inside. Their need to come through Jesus. Their need to come by the way of the cross. God, I pray you'd awaken our children to their need of a Savior, to their need of eternal salvation in Jesus Christ. We ask this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Amen. As we begin to sing, you come. Come to Jesus. I'm trusting to the unseen hand. We hope and pray that today's episode of the Unseen Hand podcast has been a help and blessing to you. For more information such as other podcasts, ministry helps, blog posts, previous sermons, or how to contact Brother Brown directly, just go to RonnieBrown.net. 
Join us next time for another message from Brother Ronnie on the Unseen Hand Podcast. Until then, may God's unseen hand gently guide you on your journey home. The Unseen Hand.